Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is the founder of Green Collective Eatery. Today's guest is Allison McKinley. Allison, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Quentin. Thanks for having me. You're you're welcome, Allison. So um, looking forward to getting into uh, your life story and all things Green Collective Eatery. But before we kind of get to that point, I want to ask you a few questions. I like to kind of just ask all of my guests just to kind of get the uh, the conversational ball rolling, so to speak. So uh, I would like to know, first of all, Allison, how do you start your day? Is there any specific routine or ritual you like to stick to on most mornings and most days? Yes, that's a great question. Um, so first thing when I wake up, I try not to look at my phone. Um, so that's, that's kind of my first thing. Um, I like to write in a gratitude journal. And then um, walking my dogs is kind of like my morning meditation. So that's kind of the first thing I do no matter what. Um, I'll either put in a podcast or listen to something I can kind of learn and just kind of zone out first thing. Um, and then I always follow that up by at least 30 ounces of water with athletic greens, uh, and some electrolytes. Okay, cool. Um, how long have you been, uh, practicing or partaking maybe, uh, might be a better word in the gratitude journal. And why did you kind of implement that as a part of your morning ritual or routine, Allison? Gosh, I've been doing that for, I think actually in the journal, probably just about a year, but I've been kind of just practicing gratitude for a couple of years now. Um, I just know how therapeutic it is and how good it is for my mental health to just realize how grateful I am and how lucky I am in so many different avenues. Um, so I've just noticed it really helps me. Okay. Very cool. Love that. Okay. So you mentioned, uh, putting in a podcast when you go on a walk with your dog. So the next question is, What's your favorite book? And if there's more than one, please feel free to share. Uh, and then uh, do you have kind of like a favorite podcast or a go-to podcast? Again, if there's more than one, feel free to share. So favorite book uh, or favorite podcast, give us both if you don't mind. I feel like I have to say your podcast. <laughs> there we go. Hopefully it'll become yeah. a, a routine in, in your life for, for uh, Curious and Canada. It's a good I one. I think it's going to have to be. Um, okay, so favorite podcast that I usually listen to. So I love mind, body green. Um, I always, I, I just find that podcast super interesting. I love all the experts they bring on. Um, and then recently I've gotten really into, and I'm probably going to say his last name wrong, but Max Lugare, Lugare, his podcast, um, the genius life. I like that too. I just like, um, I really like listening to different experts in their fields and, you know, hearing about biohacking and just different, different health and wellness podcasts. Um, and then favorite book. Okay. This is an interesting one because I just read it. I'm in a book club. It's a very intense book club. We read a different book every month. And this was our book club book last month. And it's called the many lives of mama love. Um, it's a memoir by Lara love Harden. And it's just a really crazy story on resilience and being able to just completely reinvent yourself. Um, I won't like do a super deep dive into this book, but she was basically just a normal soccer PTA mom, um, married a guy who had an addiction. She, uh, went into a really deep grave of heroin and meth, um, and was actually arrested, went serve time. And then it's her story of how she gets out of prison. She goes through the whole system probation. Um, but it's a really 
really fascinating story of where she came from to where she is now. She's a super famous writer now. Um, and she had to persevere through a lot of things and jump through a lot of hoops, uh, to survive and to get where she is now. It's super inspirational. Um, so I think it's a really good book for people who are going through something to see it's not that bad when you look at something like that. So I'm, I've been recommending it to everyone. I just finished it like a week ago. Okay. Yeah. That, that sounds cool. I, I love the books that are you know, memoirs or like autobiographies and, um, or biographies where it's just like, it's, it's somebody's life, right? Cause we all, um, if we wanted to, could write a book about our life. Um, and that's kind of like why I'm so passionate about podcasting and having people come on. Like we're going to get into your story here in a minute, but I'm so passionate about podcasting and providing a platform for people to share their story because every human being, no matter what you have or haven't accomplished has a story. And each of our stories matters and each of our story holds some sort of weight or power uh, to other humans. So um, that's, that's super cool. It sounds like a good book. I'll have to check that one out. Um, the next question I want to ask you, uh, Allison, um, what life lesson have you been taught or have you learned in the last year? Now, for a lot of us, we, we go through a lot in life just within, let's say a month or a couple of weeks. So it can be, you know, last week, it can be uh, six months ago, be uh, a couple years ago, but what's just something recently that you've learned, or maybe you've been reminded of, if you don't mind sharing that? Yeah, I I think that's a good one. Okay, so this is kind of like a kind of a two part uh, thing, but I think one is that there's no wrong decisions. I think we so often get hung up on decisions and am I making the right choice? And there is no right choice. There's just the choice you make and that's the direction you're going to go in and you're going to figure it out. Um, and I think that's rang really true for business for me. So I, I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, and then I think too, failure is not failure. You know, it might be failure to you, but again, it's just a redirection. And I think that's really important to remember for so many people that are afraid of failure, because what are you so afraid of? You know, something, something isn't going to turn out the way you wanted it to. So you just redirect and you just pick right back up. I think those are two big lessons I've learned in the last year. Mm. Okay. Now we are going to get into, you know, your, your business endeavors and things like that, but give us, I, I want you to give us, if you don't mind, I, I love what you said. That first one, uh, there's no wrong decisions. Uh, give us like, uh, uh, an example from your life where that really, that statement really came to kind of like, uh, enter your being, so to speak. Like what was that, that time or that decision or process or, you know, season of your life? Where you're like, man, there are no wrong decisions. Can you just touch on that, please? Yes. Okay. So spring of 2020, um, green collective, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, um, we did not have a signed lease yet. Uh, we had a signed letter of intent. The concept was very much in play, um, but I had the opportunity to, to not pursue it um, due to the pandemic. So we didn't have a signed lease. And it was essentially, I remember having a conversation with my dad and he said, do you want to open a restaurant when at this point, one in four restaurants or was it three in four and something like that are closing because of this global pandemic? Are you sure this is something you want to do? And so it was my decision, like, do I do this or do I take the safe road and just not do it? And so I think at that point I was making pros and cons lists, like, what should I do? But there was no wrong decision. 
if I didn't do it, life would have taken me in a different direction, but it was, I really struggled with that decision, like, cause it was so risky. So I think that was a good example of that. Perfect. I love that. And we are going to get into more of that here in a little bit. Cause, uh, yeah, life is, life is crazy. So, uh, and we don't, we don't want to get stuck in life. So, um, kind of the last, uh, question in terms of the conversational starter questions, Allison, do you have, and you, you know, you just kind of said that no wrong decisions, failure is not failure. Uh, those are kind of, uh, quotes or mantras, but, uh, do you have a favorite quote mantra or word, or is there, uh, you know, kind of like a go-to saying, um, that you, uh, is, is kind of like on repeat inside of your mind from, from day to day. I think this isn't necessarily a quote. It's just a word. Um, it's just perseverance. I think when things get hard, it's so easy to want to just give up or throw in the towel, but I always, that's always in my head. Like there is something bigger on the other side. Just keep persevering. Perfect. Okay. Love it. All right. We're going to transition now, uh, into your backstory. Uh, this is kind of, you know, usually my favorite part of all these conversations, really, uh, diving deep into the guests backstory, their childhood, because, um, the truth is we are who we are in large part today as adults, um, you know, uh, because of the influences, because of, uh, who we were surrounded by in terms of the adults in our lives growing up and those experiences through childhood. So, uh, talk about, if you don't mind, Allison, where you actually like physically grew up, paint that picture for us in terms of what your childhood was like. You just mentioned your dad, uh, talk about your parents, their influence on you. Do you have siblings? Did you play sports? Were you an artist? Did you love school? Did you hate school? Just kind of touch on all those things up to about high school and then uh, stop at high school because we'll kind of move on from there. Perfect. Um, I grew up in uh, the DTC area of Colorado, so not too far from Denver. Um, I grew up in a really amazing household. I'm very thankful. I had a wonderful childhood. Um, I went to, let's see, we moved, moved when I was five years old, and then I lived in the same house up until uh, my parents still live in that same house, which is pretty cool. Um, I went to the same, uh, I have two siblings. So I have a younger brother and a younger sister. We went to school together. My brother's two years younger and my sister's five years younger. Um, I was an athlete. I played field hockey and lacrosse. Um, but I was also super interested in, in just kind of everything, like in all the clubs. Um, I, I was really interested in learning as much as I could. Um, let's see, what else did you say? Oh, my parents were amazing growing up. My mom really instilled a lot of my healthy values. Um, growing up, she was always super active, uh, worked out a lot, cooked amazing, wonderful meals. And I think that's where I get a lot of um, my passion for food started at a very young age and cooking together. Um, and then my dad is just an absolutely brilliant businessman. Um, so I was so, so fortunate to have him, uh, both of my parents really as mentors to look up to. Um, my dad was a lawyer for many years too. So I think that expertise has come into play so much in business for me now. Um, and I was just incredibly fortunate as a child to have both of them to look up to. They were both around, they're still married, um, wonderful parents, wonderful siblings. Uh, we always had at least three dogs growing up. Um, we volunteered a lot as a family. My dad was on the board of the Denver Dumb Friendsly for many years. So I started volunteering there at gosh, I think 14. Um, and because of that, that's why we always had three dogs. Cause I would bring, bring home a dog, uh, 
often. Um, so that was what I think, you know, my passion for animal welfare and, uh, specifically dogs and then, um, kind of health and wellness blossomed. Okay. You sound like a Colorado girl. That's for sure. <laughs> yep. Yep. Love it. Um, now uh, uh, some things I want to dig a little bit deeper on in terms of growing up. Uh, now you did mention sports, uh, but I want to ask you more specifically about school. You said that you, from a pretty young age, you felt like, uh, you know, you were, you had an interest in, you know, learning and, and uh, things like that. So talk about actually school. Did you go to uh, a public school, a charter school, private school? And what was your experience like in your school setting? Did you enjoy it or not so much uh, with the, with the, uh, with the schooling stuff? So I went to public school, um, from start to finish. Um, I loved school. I was one of those people. Um, I, I loved all my classes. I think I didn't really understand specifically what I loved learning about until I got to college. Um, but, uh, yeah, I went to, um, Cherry Creek high school. I'm sure many are familiar with it. So it's a very large high school. Um, I think we had a thousand kids in my graduating class. Um, so I think that that was really fun for me. Um, I was very, very social, growing up, very outgoing, um, always liked to do things, whether it was with my sports teams or my friend group. Um, and I think going to a school like Cherry Creek High School, you're given a lot of freedom. Uh, you can leave campus for lunch. And I think that really kind of uh, sets uh, some some children don't do well in that environment. But I think that set me up to help mature a little bit quicker. And I think as an, as the oldest child of my siblings, um, I very much from an early age kind of developed that leadership, um, leadership skills. So yeah, I think that was in part from school. Okay. Um, so, uh, now it sounds like you had a, a great upbringing, great childhood, great family. Was there any adversity or anything that, uh, maybe was a turning point in terms of maybe something not going right in your life? when you were younger? So I think, you know, and this is a big part of my story, but this is kind of right around at the end of college. Do you want me to jump to that yet or not yet? You can jump to that and then I'll, I'll bring it back. Absolutely. Okay, perfect. Um, so when I was about a junior in college at CU Boulder, I started feeling very run down. Um, I just didn't feel like myself. And I went to the doctor at the time I had a pediatrician. I didn't have a real doctor. And I remember him asking me if I was doing drugs. And I was not doing drugs. And he um, he took my blood. He told me nothing was wrong with me. Um, basically said, you're partying too much and probably just eating too much pizza. And so I went back to school thinking nothing was wrong with me. Um, but I knew something was wrong with me. And I started to think I was kind of crazy, um, which and I think this is how a lot of people have, a, you know, a medical story like this. But um, because of that, I ended up, you know, in a psychiatrist's office, put on uh, depression and anxiety medication. Um, and I went through life like that for about, gosh, four years until I went to another doctor um, who took my blood and found out that I um, had an autoimmune disorder and I had Hashimoto's um, and it was pretty severe. <laughs> so I basically went misdiagnosed for four years um, and got put on a bunch of medication that I didn't need to be put on um, until we found out four years later what it was. And then that's where my whole health journey began. Mm, okay. Um, okay. So we'll, we're going to pick that back up here in a minute. I want to take one step back here before we kind of move forward. Uh, now in terms of uh, your parents, what do you feel like now as a, as a grown woman, as a, as a businesswoman, 
um, all, all of the things that, that you uh, are today, what do you feel like is the biggest takeaway from uh, your parents in terms of your upbringing and how they raised you and your, your siblings? I think first and foremost, I, I get, I really credit my parents. Like, I think they did such an excellent job in raising us. And I think the biggest thing they instilled in all of me and my siblings is just to be a good person, to always stick up for somebody who needs it, um, to volunteer, to just be good, you know, don't lie, don't cheat, don't do any of those things. And they instilled that at a very young age. And I think because of that, my siblings and I are very nice people. We'll do anything for anyone who needs it. We'll always go out of our way to help someone in need. Mm, super cool. Um, yeah. Now I want to touch on uh, uh, any other like positive influences or mentors that you had, you know, when you were younger. So obviously your parents were uh, a huge part of, uh, you know, uh, your upbringing and positive influences of your life. Was there a coach? Was there a teacher? Uh, was there anybody outside of your parents that you feel like they gave you a lot of positivity and pointed you uh, in in a in a in a in a positive direction, so to speak? So I would say my grandparents. So my dad's parents, and they're actually still alive today, which is so cool. So my grandma's eighty nine, my grandfather's ninety three. They've been married for seventy one years. So I think there's like one just an example of love is super cool. Um, but growing up, they were incredibly involved in our lives. And my grandfather is a really inspiring story himself. Um, he basically came from absolutely nothing, worked his way up, started an amazing, very, very successful company. Um, but he's, he, you know, he's a hard ass, he's intense, but I think that really has helped myself and my siblings in business because he's always been there as a mentor but he pushes us and he always asks the super hard questions and it's not all, you know, rainbows and butterflies, but because of that, I think he's made us all better and want to be better and look at him as an inspiration. And then my grandmother, she's always been just super involved in our lives as a big, you know, big support, biggest fan. So I think they deserve a shout out for sure. Cause they've definitely shaped who I am and who my siblings are today. Super cool. Yeah. I, I love it. That's great. Um, okay. So let's, uh, Let's talk a little bit about like, so once you were kind of, let's say, you know, going into your senior year, right? Uh, most of us start thinking, uh, not not all of us, but some, some of us, most of us, I don't know how to word it, but some people start thinking about uh, obviously going to college once they're kind of getting into their senior year or uh, starting to think about what they want to be, quote unquote, when they grow up or what they're going to do when they graduate from high school. So uh, did you start having some ideas towards uh, you know, uh, you know, the end of like your junior year or going into your senior year in terms of what you wanted to do or be when you grew up or what you wanted to study in college, like touch on that. And then you mentioned going to the university of Colorado in Boulder. So talk about the decision to go there. What did you study? Kind of just transition us into college. Then after you touch on uh, what you're thinking about doing after high school, when you were in high school. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. Cause I think we always, I don't think very many people actually do what they majored in. Um, so towards the end of high school, I decided I was going to be a news anchor. Mm -hmm. I was very adamant about that. Um, and so when I started applying to colleges, I actually applied mostly in California. Um, so a lot of San Diego, uh, Loyola Marymount, uh, I applied in Arizona. And then my dad had said, he's like, you know, do you, we should go tour CU Boulder. And I was like, no, I don't want to stay in state. I want to go do swing else. We went and toured Boulder. I was mind blown. I had like maybe been to Boulder once. I was like, this is the prettiest place ever. And so I decided 
um, on Boulder, they also had an excellent journalism school, which they've since closed down. They don't even have it anymore. But so at, um, so at CU, I double majored in um, journalism. And then um, my other, my third passion is actually criminology. Uh, so I did sociology, criminology, and that's what I studied. And then it wasn't until I think I, I did um, a journalism. I think I did that for about two years. And then when I started getting realistic about being a news anchor, I realized that I would be starting in the middle of nowhere. I would be on the morning news, which meant I would be waking up at about 1.30 a.m. for a 3 a.m. call time. And I just, I was like, you know, I don't think I want to do this anymore. So that was where my journalism dreams shattered. <laughs> do you, do you kind of, how, how did you kind of start thinking in high school about being like a, a newscaster or getting into journalism? Like what, what was kind of the impetus behind that when you were a teenager? I think I've always had that kind of like investigative um, passion and that's where like criminology comes in a little bit too. I was like, so funny enough, I was at my going into college, I said, I'm either going to be a news anchor or be in the FBI or the CIA was my whole thing. Um, so that's kind of, and I think I just, I love um, learning and investigating and trying to figure out solutions. Like I'm a big problem solver. So I think that's where those kind of passions came from, but then you get realistic about these things. And it's like the news anchor stuff. It's like, okay, well, I'm gonna be in the middle of nowhere at the FBI. I remember like looking at the applications for the FBI and the CIA. And I remember being like, okay, I only speak one language. Shoot. I only do this. I just wasn't like quite going to be a good fit for me. Um, but I think that's where those, those lofty dreams came from. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think all of those qualities that you just described about yourself at that age uh, and why you kind of pursued that education at um, uh, UC Boulder uh, really uh, benefits you now as an entrepreneur and a, and a business owner, which we'll, we'll get into that. But it's, I, I love, that's why I love getting to people's stories because there's so much from our younger years that kind of directs us and shapes us and mold, molds us as we kind of walk through life as adults, right? So um, that's that's super cool to kind of uh, uh, catch that. Now, um, you mentioned uh, the Hashimoto's and the autoimmune and kind of dealing with that towards the end of college. Um, now, before we touch on that, uh, I, uh, you know, I used to live in Denver. I used to live in Colorado Springs. I live out, uh, near Durango now, and I've podcasted numerous times in Boulder. Boulder's amazing, great area, a lot of cool people. Uh, what was your overall experience like Allison, um, at the university of Colorado there in Boulder? Uh, and what do you feel like was like your, your number one life lesson or lesson that you kind of learned during those college years because for a lot of us it's our first time away from home it's our first time away from our parents we we do start partying we explore we it's 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 this like discovery time for a lot of us and i think it is a very valuable time for a lot of us whether we realize it at that time or not um what was uh what was college like for you and what was kind of like the takeaway the major takeaway life lesson that you learned during those years if you don't mind touching on that yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I joined Greek life, uh, up at Boulder, um, my freshman year and I, you know, got into a sorority and I was in the sorority for a year. And then I, um, I ran for president of the sorority and I actually got elected president and that, so I was a sophomore, it was my sophomore into junior year. And I think that, you know, it's funny cause it's like, Oh, Greek life and everyone, you know, what can say what they want about Greek life, but 
I cannot think of a more real world example. I was in charge of, I think we had 240 girls in the sorority. Um, and I was a sophomore. So I had to learn how to, uh, basically, you know, be in charge of women who were years older than me and how really how to be a leader. Um, so I think that experience for that very stressful year, um, I was the problem solver I dealt with. We had a couple criminal things happen while I was president. Um, and, uh, really just being, being the, uh, the leader there, I think, that is really where like perseverance came in for me. Cause it was, there were so many times I was like, why am I doing this? I want to give up. It's like, no, you are not giving up. Um, so I think while, you know, college is like, you're learning so much about yourself and you're partying and this, I was thrust into that responsibility at a pretty young age. And therefore I could not party like that. I had to be on at all times. If somebody called me at 2 AM and I had to go help, I had to be aware. Uh, so I think that like, I am so thankful for that experience. Cause at gosh, what was I 20 years old, not even 21 or 19 or 20. I had to grow up real quick. Yeah. Um, now forgive me. I I'm not too familiar with uh, sorority. So if, if this is kind of an ignorant question, I'm sorry, but, uh, is it uncommon like, and I know there's like different sororities and different colleges have different ways of doing things. I get all that. But for, for your sorority at, at that college, was that uncommon for somebody uh, that was a sophomore to be elected president? Or was that not something that's necessarily uncommon? No, that's a great question. So at the time, it was not uncommon. That was kind of just how they did it. Um, you ran at that age. And then if you got elected, great. But since I have been president, because I was on the advisory board for a couple of years post-college, um, they've changed it so that it's juniors into seniors, because they, it, I think it's just hard having somebody that's a little bit younger, having to stand up for to the older girls and that kind of thing as well. Yeah. Okay, cool. Very cool. Okay. So let's, let's talk, let's dive a little bit deeper, Allison, into the, the Hashimoto's, the autoimmune, uh, because obviously that was a, a life-changing uh, diagnosis, life-changing experience. It sounds like it was a four-year kind of roller coaster. So take us a little bit deeper into uh, that four years. You know, they, 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 you know, the, the person that you initially went and saw said, Hey, you know, you got to cut back on the partying and, you know, stop eating the pizza, all that stuff. You you're in with a, a psychiatrist and given all this medication, which I won't even get on my soapbox about that, but, uh, that, that's definitely, you know, some, some stuff that I bet mentally and physically was tough for you at that stage of your life. So, um, walk us through mentally. What was that like for you? Cause obviously, um, we've heard that you, you had a, you know, you kind of had the idealistic upbringing and going to college and president of the sorority, all the things, right. And then this happened. So mentally, what was like, what was it like for you? And then, just walk us through kind of like that time of life for you. And when you got the diagnosis, like just uh, talk to us about what that experience was, was all about for you personally, Allison. Yeah, it, it was a super tough experience because one, you know, when you're super in tune with your body and you know, something's wrong, but a medical professional is telling you you're not like you legitimately feel crazy. So there's that. And then the other side of it, Hashimoto's, when you are severely hypothyroid, you are gaining weight, you are sluggish, your brain feels like it is very hard to like 
get thoughts together. Um, you're cold all the time. Your hair is brittle. Your nails are breaking. There's just all these symptoms that can be attributed to anything, right? Like, Oh, I'm just tired. Oh, I am hungover. So it's like, it, there's not enough of, um, I guess like a definitive symptom that like you think you actually are ill or are you? So I think it was a lot of, you know, once I was put on anxiety and depression medication, I was no longer, you know, sad about it and anxious about it, but I still knew I didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until that four years later, and, and I, I have learned now that it is so important to take control of your health and not let someone else dictate your health for you. I wish I knew what I know now, because I would have gone to another doctor immediately and demanded different blood work um, because the original, the pediatrician never even tested my thyroid. Um, which I don't know what the heck he was testing, but, um, so when I did get the diagnosis that, oh yeah, you have what, you know, the first diagnosis is just, yes, you're hypothyroid. And then it was another blood test that said, okay, you have antibodies. There's something autoimmune happening. And I remember first it was relief. Cause it's like, okay, I'm not crazy. There is something wrong with me on a blood test. And it actually, my marker for, um, TSH, the, the normal level is like 0.3 to 3.0. And I think, I think my original marker was like, it was absurd. It was like 16 or something. I was so severely hypothyroid. Um, but I remember then they sent me to a rheumatologist and before we had confirmed it was Hashimoto's, I remember him saying, um, hopefully it's not lupus or one of the bad ones. It's just like such a crazy thing to say to someone who's like, just learning about autoimmune. You're like, you know, then you start Googling, you're like, Oh my God, I have lupus. And this, you you go down that rabbit hole. Um, but so once I did get the diagnosis, um, I was put on thyroid replacement hormone and that does generally make you feel much better. And it did, but I still didn't feel right. Um, and that is when I started going down the rabbit hole because Western medicine and nothing against Western medicine. There is, I mean, you know, this too, there's so much use for Western medicine and I'm so thankful we have it, but Western medicine told me that's, that's what you do. You take thyroid replacement hormone, you're good. Um, and that was when I started getting very passionate about healing and Eastern medicine and functional medicine and seeing what else there was out, out there for me. Um, and pretty soon after, I think I was on thyroid hormone for six months, I found a functional medicine doctor um, went in, did more testing and basically, uh, was told how important food was going to be for me for healing. And prior to that, I ate everything. I loved gluten. I loved dairy. I loved sugar, every, you know, everything. And I thought I was fine, but for people that have autoimmune and specifically Hashimoto's gluten and dairy are really big triggers and they trigger the autoimmune. So when I found that out and I cut those two things out, it, changed my life, like drastically changed how I felt. I didn't have brain fog anymore. I felt faster, lighter. Um, I wasn't getting sick as much. And that is kind of where I became very passionate about food is healing. Mm. Okay. Yes. So you're going to get me fired up. So let's talk about, uh, the, the functional, uh, practitioner that you went and saw, um, you're very fortunate. I'm very fortunate that uh, we live in Colorado, uh, and, those type of practitioners and providers are all over the place. And, um, I, I, you know, I, am a huge proponent of all that holistic, uh, practitioners, holistic health and things like that. But so let's talk about, um, how did you, okay. So, so you went to, you, you kind of just went the normal route. Like most of us do when we, we don't know. So you, you go see this, uh, doctor, they test whatever and, 
give you the medication, all the, all the kind of the normal medical stuff here in, in the United States. How did you start being awakened to um, the possibility of like, Hey, there was like holistic doctors, there's holistic practitioners, there's other uh, opportunities for me to seek out, um, you know, wisdom advice, medical advice in terms of what's going on with, with my body, because there are still, which it blows my mind, but, um, there's so many people that just think like I go to, uh, you know, the, the, the family doctor, whatever they say, it's the gospel. I'll take the medicines. I'll, I'll do the chemo, whatever they say, I'm going to do it because that's, that's the only way you and I know that that is not the case. Uh, so how did you go from kind of going the, the normal medical route to the holistic route and just walk us through for some of the listeners that are maybe listening that don't, aren't that familiar with the holistic route or what a holistic doctor, or holistic practi practitioner is. Talk to us a little bit about the difference of a holistic practitioner and your experience with them and kind of the normal medical doctor that we would go see at the emergency room or at a hospital, wh whatever. Can you kind of just uh, clarify all that and touch on that for us, Allison, please? Yes. And don't, yeah, don't get me started either. Cause I I'm super passionate about this too now. So I think at the time I didn't know anything about functional medicine or holistic health, but I started Googling, which is so funny. Um, but I think I, I truly was Googling, like I have Hashimoto's I'm on levothyroxine. I still don't feel better. Like just like phrases like that. And that was where I first started reading about like, Oh, what is functional medicine? Oh, they're saying like supplements could help or like, Oh, what is this? Um, so basically functional medicine or holistic health deals with the root cause. So you're treating, um, the root cause, not the symptoms. And the goal is if you can treat the root cause, the symptoms will go away. And a lot of times, and you know this, but for the listeners who don't, they're looking at the whole picture, um, not just your symptoms. So like, why do I have an autoimmune? What is the root cause of that? And is there a way that I can heal my autoimmune or start to heal it so that I can back off of medication? Um, and I actually, so I didn't even go here, but so I went to grad school. Um, I got my master's in marketing and PR thinking that was the realm I was going to go in. Um, and then I discovered, uh, through all of this Googling and healing and nutrition stuff, uh, the Institute of integrative nutrition. And so I went back and, um, got my holistic health coaching certificate, which is basically like a holistic nutrition wellness, you know, guru. Um, and so I guess I'm, I might be skipping ahead, but, um, that was another, um, avenue of education that really fired me up and got me very passionate about holistic health. Mm. Okay. Uh, so IIN, right? That's yeah. What, okay. Yeah. So I, I've actually looked into, I'm pursuing my master's degree right now in integrative health and wellness. Uh, and I've, I've looked into IIN that, that seems like a very, uh, uh reputable, um, uh, uh, coaching, uh, certification, things like that. But okay. So now, um, in terms of, I, I want to pull back some more layers with, with, with the Hashimoto. So, um, you're taking the medication from the, the normal doctor, you seek out this, uh, a holistic practitioner, uh, and you're, 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 you're doing your own studying and learning yourself. Now talk to us about how, cause I'm a, I, I'm a huge, uh, uh, fan of, of Mark Hyman. I'm sure you're, you've heard of him, right? Love him. I'm reading his book right now. Okay. Yeah. His, his newest one. Yep. Uh, I, I, I just one? finished it. 
is a, yeah, it, I love it so far. Oh, it's it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, he is it's, such it's a cool awesome. guy. But anything that he says, like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm on board with him. Like he's, he's amazing. But Mark Hyman's, you know, one of his statements or phrases or what he's kind of known for saying is food is medicine, right? So mm-hmm. you talked about uh, with Hashimoto specifically, you know, the, the gluten, the dairy. Can you kind of give us a little bit more uh, in-depth uh, look into uh, what your diet changes that you made or the adjustments you made in terms of your eating uh, when you started working with this holistic practitioner? And and what were the results? Because I want to kind of compare like, okay, yeah, you were on this medication. It was helping a little bit, but it's just kind of like this Band-Aid. How, how was food medicine for you, I guess, is what I'm trying to ask, Allison. Yep. So first I have to tell you in green collective, we have a giant neon sign that says, let food be thy medicine. So that is also like my mantra. I remember, and we'll go into business too, but I remember before even green collective was an idea, it it was kind of an idea. I had this vision of a neon sign that, that says, let food be thy medicine. So like, that is also my mantra. Um, and that's, and Mark Hyman's another podcast I listen to all the time. I forgot about that one. Um, So basically I think the back then, so, I mean, we're talking, this was basically 10 years ago when I met with this first, you know, functional medicine practitioner. And, you know, I think, I think, I think he was a chiropractor that had like, you know, gone into the, which is like so many chiropractors are doing like such amazing things. But, um, I think a lot of the diet changes that I made were kind of based on my own research and reading and stuff. Um, the original gentleman I saw said gluten and dairy are not going to be good for you. And that's where I learned that. But since then, and through my own learning, so basically like what I try to do is a whole foods diet. So minimally processed foods. I really try not to do any of that. I don't do gluten. I don't do dairy. Um, I do an abundance of fruits and vegetables. I try to eat the rainbow as they always say. Um, I'm really passionate about organic produce because of all the glyphosate and all the other pesticide crap that's put on not organic produce. Um, I'm really into bone broth these days. I'm into turmeric. Um, so I would say, you know, a lot of protein now too, that's been like lately, you know, all the research is saying you should be eating a gram of protein for every, um, pound of lean body mass you want to have. So I've been focusing on protein, lean meats. Um, I'm super passionate also about like sourcing meat. Uh, so pasture raised, no antibiotics ever, um, all that kind of stuff. So I really basically do the opposite of the standard American diet. Okay. Now from my understanding, once you have an autoimmune disease, they're incurable. Is that correct? Or am I wrong on saying that? So that's a really good question. They, so, okay. You can't necessarily cure it, but you can put an autoimmune disease into remission. So somebody that has Hashimoto's, you can actually put it into remission. It could come back at some point, but it's not impossible. Now you're also correct though. Once you have an autoimmune disease, if you don't start taking it a little bit more seriously, you can cascade into multiple autoimmunes. So that was kind of like, when I got the diagnosis, that was a real wake up call for me and my health. Cause I, you know, Hashimoto's, a lot of people have it. And it's, I don't want to say it's like, you know, there's a worse autoimmune, there's less worse, but I feel fortunate to have Hashimoto's and to not have anything else. And I'm going to do everything I can to prevent anything else from coming up. Now is Hashimoto's and 
certain autoimmune uh, uh, diseases, Allison, are they hereditary or is it just kind of a random occurrence that somebody gets an autoimmune? So there's a hereditary component. So there's basically, you have to have like, it's multiple parts of a perfect storm to have an autoimmune. Um, there's a lot of components that, uh, contribute to it. So one of them is hereditary. My sister has Hashimoto's as well. Super interesting. Um, a lot of it is linked to food. So growing up and, you know, my mom and I talk about this all the time. She just didn't know, you know, what they like, and we weren't like a fast food family, but sure. Like on a night, my mom was busy. We would get KFC, um, frequent antibiotic usage as a child is a big factor. Um, I was a big sinus infection kid. I had strep throat a lot. So I had the, I have that hereditary component. Both of my parents have thyroid problems, but not Hashimoto's, which is interesting. Um, I had frequent antibiotic usage, um, birth control is an interesting one. That is a big contributor. I was put on the pill for acne, like so many other teenage girls at 13 years old. And I basically took that until I was 26. Wow. Didn't know any better. Um, and then environmental factors, mm -hmm. it can be anything from something in the air to what you're putting on your body. Um, but if you have a combination of a couple of those factors, it can set off an autoimmune. Mm. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, now in terms of supplements, uh, let's, since we're kind of here, I, I want to just ask you these questions and we're going to get into the, the business talk and talk a little bit more about your life, uh, outside of this area and topic. But, um, you know, like I, I we're, I just finished reading Mark Hyman's newest book, which you said that you're currently reading and I love it. Cause he just, it's the blueprint is there. Like he, he gives it all to us for free, but I know a big section of that newest book of Mark Hyman's talks about um, supplementation. He's a big proponent of supplementation just because the truth is, you know, it's very hard for us today for a, a you know, a variety of reasons to get all the nutrients that we, we need to get. Even those of us who are very strict and intentional about eating uh, quote unquote healthy and, and things of, of that uh, nature. But um, you know, Mark kind of lays out all these supplements. So for you with the Hashimoto's and just all the learning that you've, um, you know, ingested uh, over the years, what have you found to be some supplements that are helpful for you? Not, not just for the, the Hashimoto's, but just for you to be optimal in your, your day-to-day -day being Allison. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I think supplements are so awesome, but I also think you know, I, I feel like supplements are very complicated because everything there's supplements that everybody can take, but then there are certain things that are so tailored to you. And I think, you know, the supplement industry has become such a big industry that I feel like people are like, I need that. I need that. Oh, it works for him. And that, you know, you're taking all these things I've done, you know, since that initial functional medicine practitioner, um, I've done different testing. I've been on and off different supplements. I feel like and I'm also, I just read a book, um, Dr. Isab Isabel Wentz is her name. She is like a thyroid specialist, a Hashimoto specialist. I just read her book too. And it was really interesting. And she was, you know, talking about supplement supplementation specifically for Hashimoto's patients. But for me, um, I like to do a spore-based probiotic. I find that really, um, really helpful because I've always, and so many Americans are susceptible to, you know, the leaky gut stuff. Um, and that seems to help a lot. I actually have, you know, it's funny because when AG one came out, I was like, oh, I'm not doing athletic greens. Like I get enough vegetables, but 
I actually have been doing athletic greens for probably six months. And I will say like, I have not been sick once and it's, you know, it seemed, I, I like the taste. Um, so that's kind of an interesting one. And then, um, there's, uh, gosh, I'm going to space the name of it right now, but it's, oh, it's called five defenders. It's a, it's a mushroom supplement. So I think it's got like shaga, reishi, um, lion's mane. And it's like a little pill. And that also is something that my body seems to just really like. So those are kind of like the things I will stay on more. Um, I've been doing some research into, um, Arma colostrum recently. I've been hearing a lot about that. I'm like, maybe I should try that. So kind of like, I, I do like to kind of test things out and see if I notice any differences. You know, I feel like it's supplements are so interesting because one of those things where someone's like, you should take iodine for your thyroid. And they're like, no, you should not take iodine. That's bad for you. Cause you have that. No, you should. So it's always like having to, you know, kind of like do your own research based on the research. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think you, you kind of mentioned it, uh, where it's like, you know, um, just like with food, I mean, the more I learn, yes, we can give like, as a practitioner, I can give general recommendations to people in terms of food, in terms of supplements, in terms of their physical training, whatever. But we as human beings are so uniquely different. We are also so uniquely similar, but like, I mean, I just, I, I've had a lot of uh, digestive issues in my thirties that have continued. Uh, and so I've gone down so many different rabbit holes, seen so many different practitioners, tried so many different supplements with the gut stuff. Um, and the more I learn about the gut and the microbiome, like it's so, it's, 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 it's just, it's so individualistic, right? Uh, so it's, it's hard for us to say, well, this is what you should take. This is what you should be doing. I think it's important for people to, whether it's exercise slash movement, uh, supplements, nutrition, like you got to find out what works for you. Yes, we can give recommendations. Yes, like I can listen to Mark Hyman and implement some of the things that he says and some of his recommendations. But, uh, you know, we we have to be our own advocates. We have to be our own scientists, so to speak. We have to be our own guinea pigs because what works for Allison might not work for Quentin and vice versa. Um, totally. We all have different traumas. We have different experiences. We have different, uh, you know, stuff going on in our microbiome. So if anybody takes anything away from this part of our conversation, I hope they take away like, hey, they can take away some of the, the things that we're discussing and things that Mark Hyman says and, uh, you know, writes in his books and stuff like that. But you've got to try to, you know, figure things out on your own, so to speak, and test yourself because uh, you're uniquely different from Allison and myself and anybody else. So um, now you said you you went, so, okay. So when you graduated from uh, Boulder, did you go immediately and get your master's degree or was there some time off and some working? What was that uh, space like? Talk about that. Yeah, so senior year, I interned for a company. Um, it's no longer around, but it was called Human Movement Management. And it was essentially an event management company. We put on 5K fun runs, beer festivals, larger events. Um, so I interned with them. I ended up getting hired. So right out of college, I went right 
started working for them. Um, and I became an event director pretty quickly. So I was in charge of these events. Uh, we traveled the country. Um, so I'd be on the East coast essentially for six weeks, putting on the ugly sweater run. And then I would travel back to Denver for Oktoberfest. So it was kind of a crazy couple of years. Um, and then from there, I decided that I wanted to get into more like the advertising marketing agency world. Um, that was when I went back and got my master's. So I actually did my master's while working, um, at an ad agency. And, um, that was, you know, great experience. And then from there I went into experiential marketing. Uh, so that was PR stunts, a lot of traveling. Um, a lot of what we did was LA, New York, Miami. So kind of the bigger San Francisco cities. And that was where I started seeing all these, you know, amazing health foods concepts and wondering why we didn't have more of that in Denver. Okay. What was the experience like for you in kind of like the, the marketing and the traveling, uh, just touch on like, what was your kind of overall takeaway from those experiences, Allison? You know, I think it was such a fun job. Your first job out of college, we were, everyone at the company was young. Um, the company grew really quickly. They took us all to Hawaii for a week. Like it was just such a, like, I can't even believe it was real. Um, but that being said too, I was 22 years old and I was an event director. So I was in charge of events that had thousands and thousands and thousands of people there. Um, and if anything went wrong, it was on me. So I think that was also very much like you need to learn how to be responsible for a lot and handle issues and deal with them and squash them and move on. Um, so I think just a great life experience. And I think once I got into the agency world, I started out as a beginner. I didn't have any experience. So I, I think I started out at my first agency as like the front desk girl, checking people in. And then I worked my way up to account coordinator and then account manager. And then, you know, did that whole, um, whole realm, but it eventually kind of got to at the last agency I was at before I went off on my own. Um, I was working crazy hours, not making very much money. And it was kind of like, is this my now husband was like, is this what you want to do? If you're happy and you're good, then great. But like, you are an indentured servant. He kept calling me. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Um, so what was during this time frame of, of the marketing and getting your master's degree and just working crazy hours and not making a lot of money and all that, like uh, a lot of us do at different points in our life, uh, health wise, what was your health like at that point? Um, and then I'm curious, I haven't really asked you this. We meant, you mentioned playing sports as, uh, as a youth, as a young person, um, what was your, uh, so talk about your health, but then I'm curious about the evolution of your, I don't like to use the word exercise anymore because there's a lot of negative connotations that, and there's a wide variety of interpretations of what exercise is, but what was your movement or exercise like throughout, you know, your time in Boulder and all the traveling and you kind of starting on your health uh, journey and doing all this uh, discovery in terms of holistic health and things like that. So what was your health like? What was your movement exercise like? And just talk about the evolution of what your physical training, your movement, your exercise is like current day. Cause I'm kind of fascinated and intrigued by what uh, that evolution has been over the years, Allison. Yeah, that's a great question. So I think coming out of high school and being an athlete and working out in a, you know, team setting and then going into college and not having that right away, that was super tough. Um, I think my freshman year of college, I gained 10 pounds and I was like, oh my God, what happened? And which I think so many of us do. Um, so I had to, you know, figure out how to work out, not in a team environment. Um, but growing up, 
my family was very active. My mom is a fitness instructor to this day. She's going to be 63 years old and she's, um, an instructor. So I think movement has always been a very important part of my life. I just had to figure out how to move kind of on my own. And so when I got to Boulder, I found a, a, you know, a group of gals who liked to work out and we joined, you know, the 24 hour fitness and we did workout classes there and we did core power yoga and we, you know, started to kind of figure out how to move ourselves. Um, but I think my diet piece wasn't dialed in. So I was never, I was always like pretty fit, but my diet really wasn't dialed in in college. So I was like fit, but not like that fit, I would say. And then, um, post-college, I definitely got very into group fitness. Um, so I would, you know, find a group fitness gym and I would go early morning every day. Cause that's like, for me, movement is like, if I don't work out five times a week, I am not sane. Like it's my sanity, my haven. Um, and then I wouldn't say, I would say I, I got into kind of more like strength training, probably in the last like two years. And I realized that genetically I can build muscle pretty easily. So for a female, I'm actually, if I work at it in the gym, I can be very strong and it's so much fun. So now I'm like loving heavy lifting. Um, so I try to do that like two to three times a week, um, in like a small group or personal training atmosphere. And then I still do love the big group fitness stuff too. So I, I, am um, I do that as well. And then I, I live in golden Colorado. Um, I have South table in my backyard, so it's great to be able to have like the foothills to play in, love to hike, love to trail run, um, big skiers, big ski tour so that's okay. right now. What else? Why I feel like I missed one of their questions. Uh, just kind of like your overall health during those years uh, in college. Well, not in college, but like post college when you're traveling. Uh, you know, just kind of on the 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 job grind, so to speak. What was your health like yeah. at that point? I think it's hard when you're traveling a lot, and I you hear that a lot to kind of like stay in a routine, um, especially when you're traveling with a bunch of other young people. You know, it's like, oh, we just put on an event, let's go out and party, and you know. But I've always been an old soul. I've always been a lightweight. I've never been able to drink that much. Um, so I think you know, I, I would say my health in those years was okay. But it wasn't where it is now. I think I had started to take it seriously, but I didn't get like super serious about it. I would say until. I don't know, maybe I was 26 or seven. Okay. All right, cool. So let's talk about the breakaway. You mentioned uh, your boyfriend or fiance at the time, now husband, you know, kind of asked you like, Hey, is this, is this what you, is this what you want to do with your life? Yeah. Uh, you know, if it is cool, but uh, so, so it sounds like maybe uh, wh what's your husband's name? Josh. Josh. Okay. So it sounds like maybe Josh was the one that was a little bit of the impetus to maybe get you to start thinking about other things in terms of your life pursuits in terms of business. Is that fair to say or not? A hundred percent. We, um, we were sitting in June of 2019 at a restaurant in Jackson, Wyoming. And we had this conversation where he said, you know, if you're happy with what you're doing, great, but is this what you want to do? What do you, what's your you know life goal or, you know, or what's next? And you know, I had always like this health foods cafe, I think was like buried deep in my brain, but I'd never said it out loud. And I kind of said at the dinner, I'm like, you know, I'm definitely passionate about healthy eating, healthy cooking. And I, I didn't even mention this yet, but once I became gluten and dairy free, my mom and I, what we would do is we would try to make any recipe gluten and dairy free and still make it taste good. That was like our thing, our passion together. And it was so much fun. So we kind of like adopted that, like paleo kind of lifestyle, paleo cooking, paleo baking. And my mom loved it too. Cause I would learn about nutrition. I would share it with her. She was, you know, 
seeing changes and feeling really good too. So, um, so I mentioned to Josh this idea for this cafe and he kind of said, he's like, well, why don't you do it? And that's, you know, I'm not a risk taker myself. So I'm like, well, cause I mean, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I don't even, the most I've done in a restaurant is be a hostess. And, you know, you start talking yourself out of everything. And I remember him just being like, figure it out, start meeting with people who know, who know more than you. And I was like, okay, all right, maybe he's right. And I remember getting home from that trip and I started just like a brain dump and a Google doc. And like the name came to me and I had a menu and I was just, you know, so that was, that was the kind of the start in summer of 2019. Okay. So let's walk us down that, that road, because this is, uh, I'm assuming major growth for Allison going down this road. Uh, so, um, so, so Josh kind of, you, you and you and Josh have this conversation you come back, you have this, this brain dump, uh, the name comes and, and the vision, it sounds like starts to come. So take us from that point, kind of point A and walk us through, you know, you, you know, you had a kind of like another turning point with, it sounds like earlier you mentioned like your dad and the pandemic. Hey, like, are you going to do this in 2020? So I want to know, I'm sure the listeners want to know, how did you go from a girl that was doing some cool stuff kind of on the business grind uh, you know, to having this business, uh, founder of green collection eatery and, you know, uh, being who you are today, uh, as an entrepreneur. So walk us through that journey, walk us down that path. Um, starting from, uh, that point of, uh, just having the name, getting, getting the vision. Okay. So that's summer 2019. I have this Google doc brain dump. I tell my dad, I'm thinking about doing this. And he's kind of like, why would you want to do that? But also like, I'm going to support you however you need. Um, so I start like putting together a budget of what I think this thing will cost. I um, start meeting with anyone who will speak to me in the industry. I start setting up coffee dates, different business owners. And I just start kind of picking their brains about you know, how they did it and what they think. And, um, I remember it's funny because the budget, the initial budget I made, I met with someone in the industry and I, and who's, um, a friend of my husband's and I shared the budget with him and he's like, what is this? No, this is going to cost you like three times the amount. Cause it, you know, you're so green. I had no idea what I'm doing. I'm like, I don't need a general contractor to do the build out. I can hire subcontractors. I can manage this process. I, th- I can save money here and there. He was correct. That was the amount of money I needed. Um, but so I started looking for space and I, um, I lived in the lower Highlands neighborhood at the time and someone living in that neighborhood, I'm like, there's nothing like fast, casual and healthy here for like just a salad, something easy like that. And I saw this, um, construction sign and this for lease sign of this new building that was going up. And I reached out, um, to the landlord. And when you're a new business like that, like you, they're taking a risk, putting you in that space. Cause like you can fail very easily. And then that sucks for them. So I remember I had to go present the concept to her. So I'm like, Oh my God, I have to write a business plan. <laughs> like I've never written a business plan. I was not a business major and you just figure everything out. Googled how to write a business plan, wrote a kick-ass business plan. Um, and so presented the concept to her. I want to say that was in maybe like August of 2019. 
And um, they loved it. They're like, yep, let's do it. They let us kind of pick the amount of space I needed. And so the building was under construction. They were supposed to turn the space over to me in January of 2020. Um, so my plan, I was going to quit my full-time job in around like October, November, give myself a month off because I'd never taken time off before in between any jobs, um, travel a little bit and then hit the ground running. So quit my job. Um, my job I was with was, was super sad because I had a pretty big role there at the time. Um, and then January rolls around and I get an email from the landlord and she's like, you know, new construction, we're a little bit delayed. Uh, the new plan, we're going to hand the space to you April 1st of 2020. Um, and then COVID happened. And that was when, um, we hadn't signed the lease yet because, and my dad being the amazing lawyer, he had been for so many years, he was a contractual attorney. Um, he was negotiating the lease with me and he, I mean, he's a hard ass on those leases. So we hadn't like come to terms on certain things, but we had the signed LOI. And that was when he said, he's like, are you sure you want to do this? And you know, at that point it's like, I'm unemployed. Like I, you know, you're like, who am I? Like I, and I, I made a pros and cons list of should I do this or should I not? Um, and I, what I ultimately decided is I would regret if I didn't try. And I, you know, I remember telling myself, I'm like the word, what's the worst that could happen? You fail. Green collective is not successful. It's not profitable. Okay. Well, you tried. And if I don't, if I didn't try, I knew I would always regret it. And I knew that it would have been so easy to make an excuse to give up in that time because of what was going on in the world. And it was like, that was a part of me. I didn't want to be anymore. Someone that made excuses and didn't take risks. And so I kind of said, F it, we're doing it. We're moving forward. Um, and everything, you know, of course was so delayed. Um, but they didn't end up turning over the space to me until, September of 2020 for us to begin our build out. So I thought originally we would be open in April, 2020. We opened essentially a year later in March of 2021. Um, now was this in the, uh, is it, is the green collective eatery? Is that in the, the nurture building? Nope. No. So we are, I'm so sorry. I don't know how to turn off the stinging from messages. That's okay. You're, it's, you're blowing up. <laughs> no, I have a group text. They're the worst. Wow. I truly don't know how to do that. Uh, stop guys. Um, let me see if I can mute this. I'm so sorry. Oh yeah, No, you're fine. Don't worry about it. It's all good. It's real life. <laughs> I don't even know how to do I, how do I mute this? Is it on your laptop? Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't know how to do that then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, hide alerts there. Maybe, maybe that'll do. Okay. I think we're good. Okay. Um, so no, so we are, we're our own like brick and mortar. Okay. 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 Yeah. Um, okay. But I love the nurture folks. Kelly is, Kelly is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. She, she, uh, was on a previous podcast that I hosted. Um, super cool lady. Um, I was actually in that building podcasting with somebody before oh. it even opened. So I, I didn't know if it was in that building or not, but, uh, nope. that's the cool thing about Denver is, uh, in the Denver area. Um, there are so many cool restaurants and cool people that are just like, like, you know, just what we're the conversation that we're having, right holistic and uh food food is medicine and movement is medicine it's just like yeah. just a hub right um are, do you know uh Jen from Just Be Kitchen have you yeah connected with her yeah yeah Jen was one of the people I met with before opening Green Collective okay cool yeah she yeah. she was on uh the other podcast that I hosted too and she's gonna come on this one here 
in early December. I've been to Just Be Kitchen numerous times. And so when you said kind of the gluten-free thing, I was like, oh, I was like, that's a little bit of Jen's story too, you know? Oh yeah. I frequented Just Be. I still do. I, but before I was like, this is amazing. I, I can eat everything. It was so much fun. Yeah. Super cool. Love it. Um, okay. Now, so, uh, green collective eatery, the doors officially opened then was it August, September of 2020, March 3rd of 2021. Okay. So, so walk us through that. So you, uh, you get into the building, you start doing your build out. Then it sounds like in, in the fall of 2020, you open the doors in the spring of 2020, 2021. What was it like for you going from, I mean, it's, it's literally, I think kind of almost like having a child from, from infancy, you know, up to like the teen years or whatever. So, you know, you have this vision, you start walking down this uh, path, the doors open, like, what was it like opening day? And then walk us through maybe some of the evolution of the restaurant over the last few years. Yeah. So because it was so delayed, I essentially had eight months that I didn't think I was going to have to like over prepare for this thing. So, you know, everything's locked down and I am just recipe testing like crazy. Like I was at my mom's house. We were iteration after iteration. My sister was involved. It was like so much fun. Um, so I think that was where we really got some of our recipes really dialed in. And then once construction started, there was still all of the COVID rules in place. You couldn't have more than 10 people on a construction job site. There was like all of the things. And so everything just took so much longer. The inspectors were harder to come by because nobody was working in their offices. They're all at home. Um, so there's just so many delays that I think that friends and family weekend we did before we opened was like, oh my God, this is happening. I think the first six months of being open was like such a blur. Like it was so stressful and like trying to figure out the operations and what worked and what didn't work. And, you know, I didn't know if we were going to be profitable. So it's like, I have to be the manager. I have to be inventory. I have to be the therapist for all these younger employees. I have to, you know, be all these hats. And it was, it was definitely a lot. Um, but I think then, you know, you start to fall into a groove, you start to figure out what works, what doesn't work. You start getting the right people in the right roles. And then it just kind of starts to flow. Um, but I mean, for the first really year, I could not go on a trip. I could not leave. I was like pretty much tethered to this brick and mortar. Um, I didn't see my friends for a long time. Cause I just, I couldn't, you know, from 7am to 3pm, I was there. Um, unless I, you know, and I would sneak away for a workout real quick and come back in my workout clothes. So I would say, you know, it was relieving, um, being open, but it was very overwhelming. It was easily the most challenging thing I've ever done. Um, but I would say at about like a year, I started to actually feel proud and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. What in that first year, Allison, what was like the biggest area of growth for you personally? I think learning two things. One, I used to be such a people pleaser and a yes person. And I quickly realized that that was not, I could not do that and run a business. And I quickly realized like people, are, some people are not going to like me. And that's, you know, it is what it is. I'm going to be myself. I'm going to be a good person, but I can't please everyone. And I can't make everybody happy. Mm -hmm. And once I realized that, you know, whether it's a customer who doesn't like their avocado toast or it's employee who I just had to yell at, it made my life a whole lot, whole lot easier. Okay. Now I, I'm curious about, uh, kind of like, uh, uh, 
I'll use the word mentor. Now you said in, in the beginning of this vision of uh, Green Collective Eatery, you, you know, you, you, you consult with Jen, you met with all these different people. Uh, was there like, and, and obviously I know your dad being a lawyer and, and, and a part of the negotiating, I'm sure he was a huge like mentor figure during this time too, but kind of outside of like the, the immediate family, because we already know how positive they've been for you and your, your husband, but was there anybody or a group of people that you really kind of like uh, uh, found yourself consulting with or just kind of going to saying, hey, like, what do, what I what do I do in this situation? Like you've opened up a business, you've opened up a res, restaurant. Was there anybody or a group of people that uh, you kind of like consulted or became a mentor or mentors for you during this process? Or was a lot of it just kind of like connecting with a bunch of different people at just different times? Um, no, that's a really good question. So I think there's a two fold piece to that. So while I was opening in, um, so this was in the summer of 20. 19, I think I did this post. So first I thought I was like, we don't need a chef. I got this. And I was like, no, we need a chef. So I did a uh, job posting for a chef consultant. Um, I ended up meeting this amazing woman, Lauren Egdahl. Um, she had a master's in integrative nutrition. She had been a chef at a vegan restaurant in New York city. She had her own catering company. I talked to her. I had an initial conversation with her instant friends, instant, like obsession with her ended up bringing her on. Um, I think she had a really big influence on me. Just, she knows the restaurant industry. Um, she knows cooking, everything she makes is just insane. She, she's the best. So we ended up making her an owner and she's still involved today. And she's like become basically family. Um, so Lauren is somebody that I leaned on like crazy. We leaned on each other. She made green collective what it is today. Um, my sister in the beginning was also involved. So I think having her in that first year was like instrumental because she knew the ins and outs of everything. She was someone I could cry on her shoulder. I could rant as soon as we left, she would cover me if I wanted to go work out. Like it, I could not have done that without her. Um, she has since gone on. She's still involved a little bit, but she's a aerial circus performer. Um, and she's a professional performer and that is her thing. And she's doing that. Um, but then the third person, so one of, and he's a dear friend uh, now as well, but Juan Padro. So he is the uh, CEO of Culinary Creative, um, CEO and founder. So they are a big restaurant group in town. Um, at the time, I think before we opened, they maybe had like six or seven restaurants. I think now they have 15. Um, but any chance that I could get him to sit down with me, I, I would. And he was super, super helpful. Um, and kind of even in that first year, he was very helpful in answering questions and managing my expectations of how things should be. Um, so I'd say kind of those three people were huge. Okay, cool. Now, uh, before I have a, a few other questions outside of uh, Green Collective Eatery specifically, we haven't really touched on like, like what is Green Collective Eatery, right? Like, first of all, I, I'm I'm very curious about how you came up with a na that name because you said when you did that uh, uh, Google Doc dump, like the the name kind of came immediately. So what what does it mean, or or what does it mean to you, or what what does kind of that entail? The name of of the restaurant, um, what makes Green Collective Eatery unique, different? Uh, because obviously um, in a big city like Denver, uh, I mean we mentioned uh, Just Be Kitchen. Um, 
there's there's restaurants in every single corner. There's a restaurant on top of a restaurant on top of a restaurant, and there's got to be there's got to be a, a way for you to to stick and to stick out. So, what makes Green Collective Eatery different? What do you guys kind of offer? What's on your menu? Just touch on that, please. So the names start with the name. So green to me has a lot of different meanings. It's funny because some people think we're a weed store. We are not no marijuana, um, but that has happened. But so for me, green has a lot of different meanings. One green for me exemplifies health, right? Like anything. I love everything green, avocado, spinach, kale, like greens. have always been my thing. Um, so there's that green as in sustainable. That's something that is super important to us too. like go green. Um, Everything we use is compostable. All of our to-go wares. We have a reusable uh, uh, glass juice bottle program. Um, so that was really important too. And then um, the collective piece of it. So I wanted a place that like-minded individuals could come and feel like they were home. Um, I wanted to be someone that could be a part of the community that could hold community events, uh, forums, you know, speeches, yoga on the roof. So I wanted it to feel like a collective. And my ultimate goal was to not just have one green collective to have, you know, each one be a collective. Um, and then our logo is the Emerald. So that's in, um, a lot of our, you know, communications and stuff. And the emerald as a gemstone has really cool meanings too. Um, one of them being like health and vitality. So there was like a lot of just cool intersections. That's kind of where the name came to me. Um, and then, so green collective is a fast, casual health foods shop, um, eatery cafe, whatever you want to call it. So we have a uh, coffee, tea, toast, salad, smoothie, smoothie bowls, organic cold pressed juice, um, adaptogenic lattes. And basically everything we offer is homemade. If we can make it in house, we do. And the only things we outsource are local. Um, I want to be su as sustainable as possible. And as we were opening, I wanted everything to be like the best you've ever had, like the best pumpkin spice latte, the best acai bowl, that kind of thing. Um, so because of that, like we really care about where we source from everything is very high quality, um, organic produce. And then it's that craft aspect. So like we do homemade nut milk because we do homemade nut milk. That's what we use in the purple bowl, the acai bowl. And so it's just fantastic. Um, and the other thing for me, I come from an experiential marketing background. So I wanted it to be an experience. What do you see when you walk in the door? What do you smell? What does your food look like? The giant neon sign. Everybody takes a picture with it because it's just such a powerful message. The let food be thy medicine. Um, and then it's the food presentation. So I, when we train employees, it's like, this is like, we want this beautiful. We want our smoothie bowl lines to be perfectly, you know, straight. We want the toasts to be like super bright and beautiful. Everything is bright and delicious looking and it's all natural. Mm -hmm. So I think it's so much fun to be able to like eat the rainbow and, show people that healthy eating can taste good because I think that's a really big common misconception too, especially with, you know, I always do the like husband, brother, dad test. Will they like it? Because they don't eat, they're like not, you know, they don't like seek out healthy food necessarily. But like, if you love our roasted red pepper chicken, great. It's can be gluten-free. It can be dairy-free. It's made out of, you know, organic almonds and uh, roasted red peppers and red wine vinegar. So it's, you know, just being able to make healthy taste good and make it feel really craft. Mm. Cool. Um, now you mentioned wanting to have more green collective eateries at some point. Walk us through your mindset and process of uh, how you kind of 
move in that direction in terms of like, okay, uh, the one that's open right now, we have to, we have to reach these numbers or what, what is the, what is that, where is that place where you're like, okay, when I get here, then I'm going to start thinking about or start moving in the direction of opening, opening more uh, restaurants or, or however you word uh, your, your business. Funny, you may ask. So, uh, so we were open a month. Um, in month two, we became profitable, which for a restaurant is like pretty rare. Um, and when I say we became profitable in month two, we made like 200 bucks, but still every month, uh, since then has gotten busier. We've started to normalize now. So we started considering a location too, after being about a year of being open. Um, we are about to open a second location in January. Yeah. So we, um, so the second location is in Wash Park neighborhood on, um, South Gaylord street, right next to Perdita. If anyone's familiar with that, um, restaurant, but that location is double the size, which is super exciting. Um, it has a full kitchen. We don't have a full kitchen at our first location because it is pretty small. So the menu is going to be in, in my eyes, um, even more exciting, a lot more hot dishes, a lot made more made to order food, um, as well as like a bigger grab and go selection. So that has been a whole additional story. I could go on for that. We, the permitting process with the city of Denver took 10 months. Mm. Um, I thought we would be open like last May and, uh, here we are. Okay. Well, that, that was a, a well-timed question, but, um, okay. So, so I do want you to, to answer kind of like what I asked in terms of, um, what, what, what was the point when you're like, okay, it's time to pursue opening another restaurant. Like, and, and, and do you have like a specific set in stone process? Is it, is it numbers? Is it, you know, like, what is it? Because I want to just like some of those listeners that maybe are business owners or want to open up their own business, whatever. I just, I want, I want them to kind of like have some takeaways of like, okay, this is how Allison does it. I've been doing it a different way. Maybe I need to think, maybe I need to open up my mind and think a different way in terms of maybe the way Allison does it. You know, I just, I just want to open up people's minds yeah. and give them some value in terms of like how you're, how you're doing your thing, you know? Totally. I think so. It's twofold. So once we became profitable and then we kept seeing, um, increases each month, I started realizing like, okay, this is, this is a successful concept. And I, I wanted to make sure it stayed on that trajectory before I'm, I'm not, again, I told you I'm not a risk taker. So it's like, I don't want to expand too quickly. Like maybe this is just a one and done thing. But then from a business standpoint in the food industry, when you have a brick and mortar, you don't serve alcohol. So you don't have those kind of margins. You serve organic produce and really high quality things. It's hard to have good margins. So from a business perspective, you're not going to make a ton of money off of one location. If you can be profitable in one and be profitable in two and three, then you start actually making some, some revenue that makes sense. So I think, could I, could we keep it at one for sure? But seeing that it is now a successful concept, I mean, I'm hoping Gaylord will be as well. It's, it's a little bit different. It's a risk as well. Um, but I want to start as a business owner and an entrepreneur growing this financially, but then the other side of it too, being open now a couple of years and green collective one, 
we have this amazing customer base and a lot of customers that drive from South that drive from up North. And I, I mean, every day it's like, Oh my God, you would do so well if you opened here. Oh my God, we do here. Oh, we live closer here. Please open here. But one of the biggest things that I kept hearing from customers was I wish you were closer South. I wish you were more out South. And so it was kind of like, I wanted to be able to, um, to spread this, like, you know, delicious, healthy eating to as many people as possible. But then of course, you know, from a, financial standpoint, you want to make more money as well. Yeah. Are you, are you ever going to open one up, uh, in Boulder? Funny you ask, <laughs> <laughs> um, potentially there is a, there is a potential opportunity in Boulder. However, I think, you know, and this is something I've been grappling with. I, I think it's going to be the right move to get Gaylord open first, make sure that is is successful and profitable. And then I want to see which model is, you know, maybe better. Is it the model with the full kitchen or is it the smaller model that does high volumes, but doesn't have a full kitchen? Mm. Okay. Uh, yeah, cool. I, I think, I mean, I'm, sh I, I, yeah, Boulder, I think would be like ideal for, for, for that, just because of the, the type of, uh, collective that is there. Um, Okay. Now getting, getting, uh, okay. I want to step out. We're, we're going to, we'll start heading to the finish line here, uh, in a, in a few minutes, Allison, but I want to step outside of like the, the actual business talk and get back into the, 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 uh, more personal talk for a quick minute. Um, so this kind of coincides with your personal life and the business life. How have you found, uh, or, or, or what have you found in terms of needing to set boundaries for your personal well-being um, as an entrepreneur, as a, as a business person? Um, what boundaries have you found that you needed to or you do need to set for yourself to have some separation from the business? Uh, you mentioned like being there all the time in that first year is kind of a blur, all that stuff. Um, I actually own a brick and mortar gym back in Iowa. I run it remotely, but I, I oversaw it and personal trained there for three years. So this is coming from personal experience where it's like, I, I, I didn't sleep at the gym literally, but I was at the gym like 12 hours a day, right? And there was a little apartment in the back. So I ate all my food there. I cooked my meals there. And then I went uh, actually to my parents' house and slept there at night just to get a little bit of separation. But I found out very quickly when I was at the gym for 12, 13 hours a day, uh, basically living there, like it just, after a while, like I just, it really weared on me, right? Or wore on me. So what boundaries have you implemented or have you found valuable for yourself to implement to kind of have some separation from the business so you're not married to it all the time? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I was so married to the business for so long, you know, like as a fellow business owner. And I think for me, I like to be in control and I'm very, like, I'm a very controlling person and I don't think it's a bad way, but in that first year, I did not want anything to go wrong. I didn't want us to run out of one thing. If somebody didn't show up, I was like, we can't just close. That's not an option. So I think for me, it was a lot of letting go of control and trusting people and empowering people to be able to do their jobs. Um, and kind of just getting to the point where it's like, okay, if we run out of something, we run out of something, we 86 it on the menu. I don't have to go run to the store to make sure we have that or panic. Um, 
for the first truly two years, anytime we ran out of something or one of our vendors ran out of something, I would go physically get it. And we discovered Instacart. Great. That saves me so much time. Um, but so that's, you know, a boundary. And then I think also I've now had to, especially with working on location two, I can't be at location one. And especially when location two opens, I'm not gonna be able to be there anymore. So it's getting the staff and, and the customer base used to not seeing me all the time. And that's definitely been like, you know, a struggle, but I've also realized if I'm at green collective one in low high, I get nothing done between, you know, my employees needing me or just wanting to chat. Our customer base is the most amazing, loyal group of regulars I've ever met in my life, but they all love to chat too. So if I'm there, I am good luck getting anything done. So I have realized I have to block off like at least a full computer day or two, not physically there or else I get nothing done. And then boundaries, as far as, you know, like I told you, a lot of my friends didn't see me for a while. I, I can't say yes to everything anymore. I can't do every birthday dinner, every baby shower, every this. I've had to, you know, not go to weddings. I've had to be very clear in my boundaries that I can't go to happy hours each night because I just need to go home and I need to be in silence. Hmm. You know, I just need to relax. So I think it's just kind of starting to say no to things and realizing that if I'm not there, the business isn't going to just implode. You know, something might happen. We might get a bad review, but it's one bad review. It is what it is. You know, I used to like, I remember the first bad review we got that I think I, of course I remember exactly what it said. The bread wasn't toasty enough for their toast. And I was like, Oh my God, we got to give us a one star review for non-toasted bread. It's like the guy could have just, you know, asked to have another toast made. We would have done it, but it's just, you know, that got to me so much at the, that point. And now it's like, you know, there's haters. You got to just shrug it off. You can't yeah. please everybody. Yeah. And I'm convinced uh, some people just get on Google and leave random reviews on businesses that they, I mean, it's just to be jerks. You know what I mean? Or it's just like some bot or something. Cause that happened with my gym. It's like somebody left a, a you know, a less than a five-star review and was complaining about something. I was like, I don't even, I mean, this is, this is less than 5,000 people town and you know, uh, Northwest Iowa, it's a small gym. It's not like in Denver. So it's like, I, I, I signed everybody up. I was the owner. I was the only employee. Right. So I knew everybody, I knew everybody I signed up. I was like, I don't even know who this person is. So, and I've seen that when I'm looking at Google reviews for businesses, cause that's obviously, you know, a gauge uh, on some level when you're looking to go somewhere new or uh, something like that. Um, I'm convinced that there's some sort of just random bots or people will just randomly go on and leave stupid reviews just to be buttheads, you know? So totally. I know I always now, like when I, I always Google restaurants too. And I look, and then I look at the reviews and I love to see what the negative reviews are because half the time it's like, you know, something so crazy that it's like my waitress wasn't very friendly. And the list is like one review that says that, you know, but it's like, you give them a one star and it's as a business owner, you really start to like take pity on it. It's like, Oh, that sucks. So now I'm so cognizant. I always like if I have a great experience, I leave a five star, you know, I'm like, they need it. Yeah. You, you and me both. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. Uh, now in terms of, uh, your husband, Josh, um, kind of like the, in the same, uh, light that I just asked you, cause obviously, um, you know, that's an important relationship in, in your life and in your, your world. Uh, how do you guys have boundaries for yourselves or how do you guys kind of foster that relationship, that marriage so that it continues to be strong and, and moving in the direction that you guys want to move it. 
uh, you know, whatever Josh does as his career, you being an entrepreneur and getting ready to open a second business, like what boundaries or um, how do you guys kind of foster uh, that love and, and that strength within your uh, relationship and marriage? Yeah, that's a great question. He is an absolute saint. So we just got married in June. So basically also through all this, like we were planning a wedding, a honeymoon, all this stuff. But, um, you know, he was the one who so encouraged me to do this. But in encouraging me to do this, he lost, you know, a partner on the weekends for a really long time. Um, you know, he's big, avid outdoorsman, loves going on adventures, skiing, hiking, trail running. And for a long time, like he had to be okay with me not being there. Um, and as much as I think that like pained him, he was still so supportive of my dream and what I was doing, which I think is so special. Um, I think you know, he's such a good match for me. He is also an entrepreneur. So we kind of deal with the same struggles in that sense, I think. Um, but we also push each other to be great. Um, he's super into fitness, uh, super active. So we're always like pushing each other in that sense too. But I think what we've realized too, is that we have to really prioritize each other. Like even after a long day or, you know, today I was at green collective all day and talking to people and, you know, we still need to prioritize each other and make sure we always you know, like date each other. And it's not just like, okay, I'm home. I'm not talking good night. So I think we've had to just be very strategic and making sure to prioritize our relationship and going on trips together and making sure we still do all those things that make us happy as a couple. Hmm. Is that, uh, and I'm not married or, you know, anything like that. So I'm, I'm asking just, you know, for, I guess my own, uh, understanding, but do you guys like actually have to like, do you guys like actually carve out time where you, you, you sit down and you, you like discuss like, okay, this is what my week's going to look like. Hey, this is what my week's going to look like. This is, this is going to be like our time or is it a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, lax than that? Like, yes and no. Like, yeah, usually on like Sundays, it's like, okay, what, like we have a, a calendar, like a joint calendar that we don't use as like much as we should, but it is like, okay, what's your week look like this week? And if I'm like, okay, I have to go to something Thursday. He's like, okay, I will plan my friend night on that Thursday too. So we're both like, we're strategic about that so that we're not like, oh, I have something Monday, I have something Tuesday, I have something Wednesday. Like we always kind of like chat with each other to make our plans on the same night. So the other nights we can just be together. Cool, cool. Okay, um, heading towards the finish line, uh, like entrepreneurship is, uh, you know, uh, kind of like this flashy thing now, right? I think because of social media, like everybody wants to be an entrepreneur and we see all the, the, the Lambos on Instagram and all the money and what we, we see all the, the glitz and the glamor, so to speak of being an entrepreneur. Like that's, that's what sh social media, uh, shows us, right. Portrays to us, which just for everybody out there, social media isn't real friendly, uh, reminder, but um, you know, that, that word entrepreneurship and just being an entrepreneur, I just with like, you know, I'm 36. So people in their thirties and the, the younger generations, it's, it's becoming more, uh, uh, I'd say ro romanticized, but it's also, I think more people are like, just saying, Hey, like you've got one life to live. I'm kind of like what you said, I'm going to go for it. I, I don't want to work for, for the man, so to speak. So, um, there's positive negatives, just like with everything else in life, but you know, uh, let's just make some, uh, let's, let's just make sure we're clear with like, for you, from your perspective and experiences, Allison, like, you know, we see an entrepreneur on Instagram, but what has been the reality of being an entrepreneur for you? You've already talked about basically being married to the business and not being able to spend as much time with friends and family and your husband, all that. 
But for you, like going in, uh, tell us like maybe like I, you were kind of thinking like being an entrepreneur and a business owner was going to be this. And then over the last three years, you're like, man, it's actually not that it's this. Am I kind of making sense in what I'm trying yeah, yeah. to uh, ask you? Yeah, I think going into it, I didn't know what to expect because I'd never been an entrepreneur. I knew I was going to work harder than I ever had. And I was prepared for that. And that is 100% accurate. Um, but I think, you know, like, you know, it looks so glamorous on Instagram. And oh, I set my own schedule. But it's like, I'm also like the plumber. Like I have like dug things out of pipes. I'm now a mechanic to all of our equipment. I've taken apart our juicer. I've put it back together. I've spent like long hours on, you know, Zoom calls with the tech out in New York who's like, oh, you need a, I don't know, a certain tool that I don't have. And then I'm going to Home Depot to get the tool and then you can't get a hold of the guy. And then, I mean, there's just so many things you don't like, you know, anticipate that you're going to be doing that you do. But if you don't do them, no one else is. So I think like, being an entrepreneur is amazing. It's the most rewarding thing I've ever done, but it's also easily the hardest thing I've ever done. And especially, you know, like having a brick and mortar is a whole different game because it's not like, it's just like not going to be there. Like this thing is open six days a week and there is problems. There's issues all the time. So it's like, you have to start. And like, for me, this is where I'm getting to the point where it's like, I have to start putting the right people in the right roles to where I'm not the one dealing with those things anymore so that I can focus on the biggest picture, bigger picture. But then that's, you know, that's a whole nother, it's like, okay, financially, what does that look like of hiring somebody that can be dealing with the bigger stuff? And does that still, you know, give myself room to pay myself? Like for instance, I did not pay myself a dime for a year for the whole, and for when we were starting. So I didn't pay myself for really two years. So it's like, you know, you have to think like, are you ready for something like that too? To not have an income, to not have anything safe or steady. Um, so it's, it's a big risk, but it's also a huge reward. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, 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 <laughs> it's up and down and all around just like life itself is for sure. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask you this final question and Hi. then I'll kind of give you the platform to share anything in closing and then I'll, I'll get you out of here. Uh, because you got, you got stuff to do. It's a uh, Saturday night and, uh, you probably got, uh, you know, maybe a dinner date or something like that. Right. Um, so I want to ask you in closing, Allison, what sets your soul on fire? Oh, that's such a good one. Um, honestly, it's like connecting with like-minded individuals. Like it, it, this, honestly, this has been such a fun conversation to talk about things I'm so passionate about. Um, Green Collective obviously lights my soul on fire. Health and wellness lights my soul on fire. I could talk about functional medicine and root cause and preventative strategies for hours. Um, and then being able to connect on those topics with other people, with like-minded individuals and being able to create something that kind of blends all my passions together, which is green collective. And then being able to grow green collective and, you know, let it reach more and more people. That's what sets my soul on fire. Cool. Awesome. Um, all right. Uh, first of all, I'm just going to say thank you, Allison, uh, for coming onto the podcast. Like, like I just said, you know, it's uh Saturday night. Uh, you've got a lot going on, but thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story, uh, sharing the, the story and the evolution of green collective eatery. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, I want to kind of just give you the final word before I do a quick uh, wrap up and close out here. I want to kind of give you the final word in terms of like, 
if there's anything you want to leave with us listeners, um, if there's anything that maybe we didn't touch on that you just kind of want to touch on before we wrap it up, I'm going to turn it over to you. Please let people know uh, where they can find out more about Green Collective Eatery. Uh, remind the listeners uh, where the location is right now, where the new location is going to be at, and anything else, your Instagram, Green Collective Instagram, whatever you want to leave with us, platform is yours. Once you finish up, I'll do a quick outro and then we'll get you out of here, okay? Perfect. Well, first, thank you so much for having me um, on the podcast. It's been really, really fun to just talk about it with you. So thank you for that. Um, I am honored. Um, I think, you know, I think we covered everything. Uh, it's been really fun just diving into all the different intricacies of my story and of Green Collective as a business, as a brand, as we grow. Um, I think I just, what I would like to leave with everybody is um, Green Collective 2 should be opening in uh, hopefully hopefully January, if not that, February. Um, we have a really exciting menu over there. It's a little bit different than Green Collective 1. Um, if you want to find out more about everything, you can follow us on Instagram. It's just uh, at Green Collective Eatery. Um, and then, yeah, we're going to be doing a big hiring uh, uh, push over there in a couple months here. Um, and then so Green Collective 1, Green Collective Low High uh, is on uh, 32nd and Vallejo. Um, and then Green Collective 2 is going to be on uh, South Gaylord. We'll be right next to Perdita in the Center for Strength space. So uh, we will be in the front half of it. And then in the back of our space um, is the amazing Pilates studio that's been operating there for uh, many, many years. So we're super excited to kind of go into a new neighborhood uh, to show everybody what we've been working on with the different menu. Um, and yeah, love to meet all of you in the Wash Park neighborhood. Um, and then if somebody wants to reach out to you, connect with you, what's the best way to do that, Allison, for, for those people? Yeah, we, um, I would just say email the hello at greencollectiveeatery.com email address or DM our Instagram. I've run that as well. Um, and then I think, you know, just the last thing I want to say for people that are thinking about maybe taking the risk or, um, making a change, maybe getting rid of their corporate life, um, do it. There's, there's, there's no reason not to. Amen. Awesome. Okay. Allison, I'm going to do a quick outro and then I'll get you out of here. Uh, thank you again for coming on. Okay. Thanks so much. Okay, cool. All of you who are tuning in to another episode of Curious and Candid, I just want to say thank you so very much. I appreciate you. I value you. Um, I'd love to connect with you. If you'd like to connect with me, there's a couple places that we can connect. Instagram, Curious and Candid Podcast. Um, you can also send me an email at curiousandcandidpodcast at gmail.com. Before you guys uh, check out from listening to this awesome conversation with Allison, if you do me a huge favor and please subscribe to Curious and Candid on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating review. I'd greatly appreciate that. And if you guys are interested in holistic lifestyle coaching, you can check out my website, which is awakentrainingandnutrition.com. Again, thank you so much for you guys uh, that tuned into this episode of Curious and Candid, and we'll catch you guys next time on another episode.